Have you ever dreamed of what life would be like if you were financially free? Yeah, me too. Which is why despite having three children under the age of four and working full time, I decided to start an online business. However, I was not prepared for the chaos starting a business would wreak on my life. I lost sight of the things that were most important to me. The result? I was stressed, overwhelmed, and exhausted with nothing to show for it. I was ready to call it quits. When I realized something, when I keep the most important things in my life stable, that is when I thrive. Now I'm on a mission to inspire other amazing women to do the same. But the real question is, how do we do it? Join me on my journey as I build my financially freeing business using today's top marketing strategies while keeping stability in my home, family, and mind. My name is Johanna Buss, and this is the Stable Mama Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Stable Mama Podcast. Today, we have another amazing guest. I am so excited to introduce you to Lisa Linfield because she has this amazing goal to help reach, not reach, teach 1 million women about money. And I just think it's an amazing goal because not only does she teach you how to earn money, but she teaches you how to protect it and spend it wisely. So I am just very excited because I don't know about you, but money comes, money goes, and let's learn the best way to handle it. Welcome, Lisa. I'm very excited to have you. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Now, that is an amazing goal you have, 1 million women. Wow, where did that come from? So I originally left the corporate world. I was in financial services for 20 years and I left the corporate world to start a private wealth management business um, and manage high net worth individuals money. And whilst I, I love doing that because intellectually it's very stimulating, you know, it, it combines economics, political, all of that type of stuff in terms of your investing. I felt like I had this unbelievable gift of this financial knowledge that could significantly change people's lives. But the reality was, whilst I definitely have an impact on people's lives, it's not life-changing as it is to people who don't know anything about money. So if you take a mom who has been um, at home looking after her kids and suddenly finds herself divorced and her husband has always managed the money. My knowledge could change her life. If you take first time wealthy people. So for example, in South Africa, we've had significant poverty. And once the country opened up, there are people who have the first time have got money. Their parents had, didn't have the, the ability to teach them how to invest it, how to look after it, how to protect themselves because their parents never had money. So if you have never had any form of guide or any form of, of human to help you with money, how would you know? And, and money itself is not a real thing. I mean, effectively, it's a piece of paper or a coin. But what money does is it enables you to live a, a really fantastic life and to live the life that you were put on this earth for. So I then not pivoted. I still have my wealth management business, but I didn't, I saw it as an and not an or is that I could have my wealth management business, which kind of very much worked one-on-one -on -one and, and worked with kind of the intellectual side. But my passion was to teach people about money in a way that they could understand. So I always think that the financial services industry is just filled with jargon 
and people think of money as maths and things to do with that. When in actual fact, your health is exactly the same as your wealth. And so I use different ways to teach money. I, you know, for women, especially most women can relate to the principles of living a healthy life. So we just translate those principles into wealth. And I started to get an immense sense of purpose and joy from seeing the light come on in people's eyes and, and helping them to not feel so helpless and hopeless, you know, that you could actually, with small steps, a bit like health, every single day, you can significantly shift your trajectory. And so that's why I set the goal of a million women, um, which was to force me to think into different ways of reaching people. And as a result, for example, I started a podcast because I can't teach a million people one-on-one. And then I started online training courses because again, I can't teach people one-on-one. So it's, I, I think if you set yourself big, hairy, audacious goals, they seem impossible in the short term, but over the course of a human's life, you can absolutely reach them and, and a big goal will help you to stretch further. So I guess I did it because I wanted, I felt it was my purpose. I felt that was why I had pivoted into financial services and I haven't been let down with it. It's been the most phenomenal journey that I've undertaken in this path to try and teach a million women. I'm not going to lie. I absolutely love your passion for this topic. You can just feel it as you talk about it. I do love it. And I, and I love the sense that it, it's a journey that, you know, when you open yourself up to any new path in life, the hardest part is the first step, whether it's setting up your business, whether it's, you know, the decision to get married, whatever it is, the hardest part is always the first step. And, but once you take that step, once you be brave and you step into that, it's an amazing thing that the path seems to open up and the further you walk in the path, the more clear it becomes. So when I started, I set it as a goal but it's now two and a half years later, it's a part of my identity. It's a part of who I am. You know, in the beginning when people say, this is Lisa Linfield and her goal is to teach a million women about wealth. It made me think they were talking about someone else. It didn't feel like it was me because who would set such a silly goal? You know, now it's part of my identity. Part of who I am is that I deeply believe that every one of us has the ability to have the impact on other people. I, I think that's how we're created. We were created for each one of us to have special and unique gifts and things that we find easy that other people find hard. And I find money easy to understand and I find it easy to teach. And as I've stepped into and taken the brave steps in that purpose, the path seems clearer and clearer and easier and easier. Not easy in terms of execution, it's always difficult, but it just, it's always it's always easier if you have a clear vision for your life. And, you know, and one of the things that I found is the, is the difference between being good at something and being great at something is working in your natural skill set. But the difference between being great and having a, a sense of purpose is an exponential difference because the minute you start helping humans, what I find is when I'm feeling frustrated and I'm about to throw in the towel and, you know, this is all like way too hard and way too difficult. Then I will get a message from someone who's listened to a podcast episode or done one of my courses and they'll say, Hey, you really changed my life. And then I think, and it always seems to come at that low point when you're about to throw in the towel and think it's all too hard. So I am very lucky to have found 
what I want to do. But the very beginning steps of switching from corporate into my own business and standing on my own feet were those very first hard steps that I think all of us go through at some stage in life where you've, you've got to take those steps. And only after you take the steps does this kind of passion come. Yes, I, I love where you're headed with this because the audience of this podcast, we are in those very beginning steps. We are struggling. We are trying to balance jobs and families and starting our business. And it's, it's a little crazy. It's a little hectic. And sometimes it's a little overwhelming. So I'd love to her- learn a little more about your journey and kind of how you got past this point. So, you know, I, I'm not that much further down the path in the sense that it was probably only about five years ago that I took myself back at the age of 40 and went back to university, went back to school. And I did an honors degree in financial planning. And I never went for the reason of becoming a financial planner. I went for the purpose of getting a commercial degree. And I had, was interviewing for CEO roles at the time. And whilst I had been to London Business School in Oxford and I had a, I, in my undergraduate, I was a physio, physical therapist. I, I felt that I needed to, to increase my, I'm a lifelong learner. So when I took my sabbatical, I went to Oxford, you know, when I want to go, when other people want to go on golf tours, I go to, you know, conference, work conferences. So I love learning. So I took myself back to university. I was 40. I had twin three-year-olds and I had a seven-year-old at the time. I was married to a husband who had a big full-time job and I had an equally big full-time job. I ran four divisions in a business. I was an executive in a business and I went to university. And I remember one of the young university people saying to me, I mean, I was at university at 40 with 21 year olds. And I remember one of them saying to me, how do you do it? And I said, well, what time do you wake up? And, and he said, well, I wake up at like nine o'clock. And I said, yes, I wake up at five <laughs> and I work, you know, before everybody gets up, I work on Saturdays, I work on the nights and it's hard, you know, but one of the things is that you have to have a strong vision. So what happened to me is the more I studied this, the more passionate I got about it, the more I could see that this path, from changing from, I'd always thought I'd be CEO of a major company. And when I met this path, it was totally not what I was expecting. But every single lecture that I went to, I'd come back and think, well, I must phone so-and-so who's going through a divorce or so-and-so whose mom just died or so-and-so who's, you know, setting up their business. And I must give them this piece of information because it'll impact their life. And that sense of being able to change a human's life Firstly, and secondly, the realization that I could start a business around this gave me so much strength to be able to get through the really tough times. And it was tough. I mean, I I cannot say it was anything more besides brutal to be, you know, running big business teams. um, I was responsible for marketing and data and customer value propositions and all of this kind of stuff. It was tough. It was brutal. But for the first time, I could see that I could have my own business. And with my own business would come the freedom to be able to be with my girls. And what happened in one of the very crucial moments for me was that um, my daughter had a sports match at school. And 
and she was playing for the whole semester. She was playing what a, a, a sport we call here, like called netball, which is not not the same as basketball, but kind of in a in a similar type of league. And I had managed to only make it to one of her matches that entire semester. And I had one of those moments when I thought to myself, the twins are babies now. What happens when they go to school and they're all playing in different teams? Will I be able to consciously say to them, girls, I can see one of your matches every three years. And I thought to myself, that's not how I want to live. Now, I worked for a wonderful boss who said I could have a flexibility and all of that. But when you're managing a lot of people, you can't take every Friday afternoon off, which was when the matches were, and go. So I actually just came to the sense that I needed to begin the process of setting myself up. Now, I worked it, I worked it out that I could, if I exited my current role, but could stay half day for another year, I could put enough money into my business to begin that transition process. So I, I exited my role, I worked half day and for an entire year, and I built, built up enough money and we had to drastically cut our expenses. So because effectively we were halving our income. And that was a really tough process because there's easy things that you can cut and you think, okay, that's cool. We'll cut these expenses. And then you go, hmm, that's not enough. Then you've got to go through another round and then you've got to have some really hard decisions. But it, it was so powerful for our, for our family. We had two great incomes, which was fantastic. But one of the things was our children didn't appreciate money and the things that they had to the level that they could have. And, and, you know, we all think of how hard it is to, to drastically change our lives. But there, were so, there have been so many really good things. As a family, we've pulled close over these last three years. We're closer now than we ever have been. My girls get to see and understand what it's like to follow your dream and your vision and your passion. And I feel that's hugely important as a role model that they can see that I have really good days and that I can have really bad days. And I talk to them about that and they understand about that sometimes mommy has clients so they need to you know not come near the office because I'm with my clients and sometimes mommy doesn't and I'm also very conscious about talking them through this so when they say mommy you're working too hard I'll say yes but I remember that on Monday I took you to swimming and I spent the whole afternoon with you at your swimming practice and we came back. So I'm making them conscious of the flexibility that these sacrifices have given us. You know, um, we used to have an au pair who used to um, work with the girls. And the other day we were, they said, what happened to the au pair? And I said, well, remember when mom gave, made the decision that she wanted to come and do some of the stuff with you, we couldn't afford the pair. And so they've started to learn phenomenal lessons of trade-offs, of the trade-off of flexibility and freedom versus extra material things, or which we didn't have. So it has been a difficult transition. I now say I'm completely unemployable because I would never go back to corporate. Um, the gift of flexibility, freedom, and passion is is a gift that I, I could not lose. I prize it so tightly to be able to be with my girls, to be able to see them. And yes, I still, I work six days a week, you know, but, I'm my, but all of us are mindful that it's not because I work six full days a week. It's because, you know, I sometimes have to work on Saturdays to make up for the fact that I was watching the swimming gala on Friday, you know, and things like that. So I guess it's just redefining 
you have to redefine your boundaries and you have to redefine what's important as a family and you have to make sacrifices and give up things. But I think if you're quite clear on your purpose and your why, it does help. It doesn't make the pain go away, but it does help your kind of attitude as you get through it. Wow. I love your transparency on your, your journey and the different challenges you had to overcome. They're very relatable and you know, it definitely gives you inspiration. So thank you very, very much. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Now we've heard a little bit about your journey. We have a, an idea of your business. We love your passion, but I guess the question in my mind is how are, I guess, what would you say is some of the, the main things that you, you teach your you call them clients? Yes. The main things that you teach your clients, what are some kind of reoccurring things that maybe we could learn from and, and uh, maybe avoid some, some big pitfalls ahead of us? Oh, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a privilege to be able to work with people. One of the interesting things is doesn't matter whether I'm teaching uh, people who earn a lot of money or people who earn a little bit of money, the principles are all exactly the same. The first place always to start when it comes with money and when it comes with understanding money is to be able to step outside of yourself and ask yourself why. And I call it the difference between good reasons and real reasons. And I guess it's because I've had to do so much of it as we've gone through these transitions is why is it so important that you have that particular car? Why is it so important that you have that, you know, you spend your money in a certain way? Why is it so important to hold on to that big house because now you're trying to cut a salary? And your money mindset underpins everything that you do. And, and I cannot stress it enough. You know, I would self-describe myself as an analytical person who, you know, loves people. But fundamentally, you know, I always used to think that a spreadsheet rocked. And when I, the more I work, walk this journey, I think that um, 90 to 95% of money is how you think about it and the way you behave towards it. And very little is about actually investments or anything to do with investments because it you know, if I say to people, okay, you need to now save an extra 5% towards your um, retirement, people always say there's no way we can. But if they suddenly taxed you 5% more, you'd make away. So the, we have to reframe the way we think about our money. And that's the first important thing. And when you come into starting up a business for yourself, one of the biggest and most important things is to create in your mind a very big separation between the business money and your, your family money. And I've struggled a lot with this. I, I guess because I, I only went on my own a lot later in life, I already had money saved. And I kind of, when I started my business, I definitely put my hand in the cookie jar too much. I kept on saying, well, you know, I've saved it and this is important for the business. So I, so I must have either this latest technology or this advertising person or all of these kind of things. And effectively, I, I drained my savings too quickly when I came through there. And I think what I would say to my former self starting up and starting out was, why do you think that you need to have that? What makes you think that it's going to be okay? Because 
the challenge of starting a business is that it takes a long time to build your brand and it takes a long time to get income, a lot longer than you think. And I, I really do understand why usually banks will only lend to people who've been in business for three years because the reality is those first year, it, it always takes longer than you think. So you need to be very careful on how you spend your money in your business in the beginning and be very disciplined about not depleting your savings. You know, spouses and partners will support us because they love us and they do believe in us and they fundamentally do believe we can be successful, but they all have a limit when, you know, when someone's draining the savings uh, on the other side. And I think I would, I would be much more mindful about where I spent my money. The second thing that I would say is focus on the revenue generating business. So we all love, have things we love to do. So for me, I love to sit and focus on my Facebook ads and how they're performing, the numbers. I like to focus on my podcast and how the episodes are growing. Um, you know, they're lovely. Other people, they like to design beautiful things in Canva and spend lots of time designing that and come up with a new idea and all this stuff. At the end of the day, you have to focus on your revenue generating business. And that might be the part of the business that you like the least. but you cannot afford to spend your time or your money on the next shiny thing. You've got to focus on those things that can bring you money now because cash flow is king when it comes to setting up a business and working out ways to bring about what's called annuity income streams, things that come through every single month. And effectively, how all of us should try and structure our businesses is that we see the different revenue streams for different purposes. So in my business, I know that I need annuity income, income that comes in every single month to be, I need to grow that to a level that it can pay for the basic expenses. Then one of courses that I sell, one of um, programs, a speech that I do that I get paid for, that stuff should be the money that then funds the new and shiny objects. But what we keep doing is investing in the new and shiny objects, and then we don't actually have the right amount of money to pay the day-to-day -day bills. So that's kind of a second thing. And then the third thing and most important thing that I, I would say, especially to, to your audience, is around this issue of how do we phrase it so if you have focused on the if you're creating revenue maybe you're not don't have expenses that you're spending it what often happens is that people will take a side hustle and spend the money so let's say you have three thousand dollars a month as a basic and now you start your side hustle and you get another thousand dollars in what ends up happening is people loosen the belt, so to speak. And suddenly their $3,000 becomes $3,300 and then it becomes $3,800 and then it becomes $4,000. And effectively what happens is that instead of using that side hustle money to start replacing your income, what ends up happening is that the amount of money that you need to totally transition off your day job starts to go, um, starts to get more and more. So now you need $4,000 to replace to live the same standard of life, not just the 3000 that you started with. So what I say to everyone is that side hustle money must stay completely separate from your day-to-day -day accounts. Because what I usually find is that people will say, effectively, they start eating out a little bit more. They start spending on discretionary stuff. And, and what they've ended up doing is increasing their expense base. So when you start a side hustle and your genuine objective is either to 
have a side hustle to save more for, for future financial freedom or to have a side hustle to replace your income, you need to make sure that you pretend that money doesn't exist, that you do not access it, you do not put it into a space that you can um, uh, replace it because otherwise what's going to end up happening is you're going to end up having to have more, a higher job and a higher hurdle to leave your, your, um, your employment income. Does that help? So much. Wow. <laughs> no, I loved all three of those. Actually, the only kind of question I had as you were discussing it is so often we hear focus on the, the revenue generating tasks. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I find them really hard to identify, which I know sounds crazy, but I'm guessing if it's something I struggle with, it may be something other people struggle with as well. Do you have any kind of tips or suggestions on how you really identify what those revenue generating activities are? So another way to think about it is the short, medium and long-term money. So, you know, if I, if I can sell something tomorrow and, or I can, if I can spend an hour, if I've got an invest an hour today and then I know that tomorrow I will be able to sell something or I've got to invest an hour and I could probably maybe sell something next month or next year. Think of it, revenue generating stuff is stuff that will bring you money soonest. So it doesn't matter what business we're all in, there is stuff that will take us time as we build a brand and build trust and you know, more higher order products. And there is stuff that can, we can do now to generate money now. And you need to focus on the things that can generate money now in order to provide the money to invest in the things that can generate money in the future. So your revenue generating business is anything that will be able to more quickly bring on money that helps you to alleviate or allow you to invest in your business going forward. And, and often it comes with the size of the ticket. So for example, if you're wanting to sell a $20 item or a, a thousand dollar item you will probably need much more trust with your customers for their thousand dollar item than you will with the twenty dollar item so you it was more likely that you'll be able to sell ten twenty dollar items this month than you will be able to sell one one thousand dollar item so things that are the quickest revenue generating in your business often have the shortest lead time they also might be where you have relationships so you know, uh, for example, my wealth management business, the clients that I focused on first were clients that I had worked, worked with before in corporate. And that enabled me to, because we already had a high level of trust, there was already a relationship, you know, the whole world comes down to the marketing cycle of no like trust and buy. How do people know I exist? How do they like what I do enough to start trusting the advice that I give them in order to buy the product or service I have. And you can, the people you know already will buy more quickly from you, but you can also leverage that process by getting referrals from, you know, if your best friend says to you, hey, you need to buy this object or use this person, you are more likely to buy the object or use the person than if you've only ever heard about them on a Facebook ad. So it's focused on, the, on places where you can either get um, revenue quickest because there's not such a big investment decision from your potential clients or on places where you've already got great relationships in place. And you know that those are actually the lowest hanging fruit because someone knows you, likes you, and trusts you 
in one element of your life, they more than likely will buy from you. Wow, this has been an amazing interview. You have given us so many wonderful things to think about, consider, and implement in our lives. I guess the last question, and usually I begin with this, but I was apparently so excited to talk to you about your amazing business that I forgot to ask you. So on the Stable Mama podcast, one thing that we always ask is, how do you build your business while keeping stability in your life? I, so I have to be very mindful about that. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm a lesser human, but I have to admit that I love working. And I also have to admit that I adore my girls. But for me personally, I get a lot of energy from the work that I do. So I have to be very mindful of carving out times with my family. So I'm not a person who subscribes to the fact that balance comes perfectly in a, an individual day. For me, my unit of balance is a week, a month, and a quarter. That's how I do it. So in every single week, I have one rule that I never, ever, ever break, which is that I will never work on a Sunday. And that, whilst I started it for faith purposes, has provided a, a huge stability in my family because it didn't matter when, whether I was at university, and working full-time, and trying to do everything, my girls always know that they will have 100% of my undivided attention on a Sunday. So many times towards a Friday or even Saturday, when they're st starting to feel like I haven't been very present, I'll say to them, and they'll say, Mama, will you read with me? And then I'll say, my angel, on Sunday, let's we will read in the afternoon and we'll spend all the afternoon reading or mama will you bake with me and then so they know that Sunday is absolutely their day and I have to be very careful with myself that I'm not on social media that I'm not on things and it, ironically I end up actually often lying on the couch outside um, we've got great weather here and I will find myself reading a book for them, so long as I'm not on a device that could be work-oriented, if I can read a physical book, then they're happy to play next to me. They'll play Lego, they'll you know, swim in the pool, they'll do whatever they need to do. So for me, the number one principle has been that there is one day off every week where your children know and your husband knows that that day is for them. So often, um, John, my husband, will take Saturdays and I will take Sundays. So on a Sunday, he will go off and he's a, a rower, a, skull, a crew, he does sculling. He'll go off and row or he'll go off and do, and I'm 100% present for my family on a Sunday. That also rejuvenates me because it's one day where my brain, I never feel guilty about not working. There's not that thing in the side of my brain going, you should be doing this and you should be doing that and you should be. So I, I found emotionally, mentally, and from a family perspective, it's brought great stability in our life. The other thing that we do is that I'm very clear that we eat um, meals together as much as possible. And, you know, I can't say that we have these long, lengthy, in-depth discussions, but what we do try and do every single time is what was your favorite thing in the day? What did you learn in the day? What was difficult in your day? And, and I make, and all of us have to do it. And that plugs me into my girls but what it all, and my husband, absolutely. But what it also does is it allows them to see that good days and bad days are good because I'm very honest with my girls when I've had a really bad day or really tough day. And yeah, so that, that is another thing that I have been 
very careful about is trying to do as many meal times with them. And I hate it because it's not, I hate it. That's the wrong word. It's, it's very difficult to honor and protect that time for me. You know, a lot of my, the time zone differences means that a lot of the work that I do with American clients happens over dinner time. And so I have to be very careful to, you know, schedule and shuffle our, our dinner, our suppers together so that we can have the time. And then what I try and do is one of the girls events a week. So I go swimming with the, with the, the little twins on Monday and on a Friday, I'll go and watch my daughter play um, whatever sports team matches she has. And so each of them feel like they have a special time, but the rest of the time I'm working. And so I think my balance is maybe not perfect, but it works in terms of I being either on or off um, in each of those times and, I, and not trying to kind of distract myself. That, does that help or make any sense? Yeah, it was perfect. No, I absolutely loved it. Great. And you know what? If it works for you, that's what makes it amazing, right? And I think that's been part of my journey is understanding that. So I'm releasing a book in May called Deep Grooves. And and part of Deep Grooves, it's about overcoming patterns that keep us stuck. And one of the things that I, I talk about is the concept of the world out there. And the world out there is the sum of all the voices in our head from when we were little humans. And the world out there says you should be, have this perfect balanced life, you know, where you're having a perfect everything. You know, they always, people make you do these spidergrams of your life and rate out of 10 every aspect of your life. I don't subscribe to that notion because I don't think everything is equally important in your life. My nuclear family, my three girls, my husband and myself is far more important than other relationships in my life. So whilst other relationships in my life are very important to me and I miss them when I don't have them, you know, there are certain non-negotiables that I have worked out I need to protect. So the world out there tells me that I should be this perfect woman who's beautifully kept. I must have, you know, my stuff together in every element of my life. I should be home cooking, you know, home nurturing, home everything. I, as I'm terribly sorry, maybe I'm, I'm not the perfect human, but I can't live up to that. That's not real. So for me, I've learned that I also am a better human when I'm working and when I'm working in my passion and purpose, but my non-negotiable is my family. So how do I blend those? And, and what have I come to that works for me? You know, are there days I feel guilty? Yes. My husband is phenomenally hands-on. He's an amazing human being, but I still feel guilty if he's watching the ballet performance and I'm working, you know, and then I have to remind myself that actually it's okay because, you know, kids need both a mom and a dad, you know, to be in both. But the issue is an issue in my head. It's not an issue in my girls and it's not an issue in my husband's head. So I've had to really journey with myself on the perfect a little overachiever that sits in me from that has sat in me my whole life. And I have to shut her up and tell her exactly what she must go and do with herself, because that is an unrealistic expectation that only I am putting on myself. Nobody else is putting that expectation that I have to be at every single thing that my three girls do. So long as someone is there that loves and adores them. And so long as they know that they're loved and adored. And so long as they get quality time with me, you know, my couple of years journey with them, my eldest is 12, my twins are now eight. Those 12 years of journeying as a mother, I'm a lot less hard on myself than I was when they were little. And I have, maybe I've dropped my expectations, but I don't think I have. I think what I've done is I've told the world out there 
in my head that none of us, not even, there's nobody that ha has it all perfectly balanced. And so long as we kind of get back to those core essentials, we don't drop the ball on our family. We don't drop the ball on our health. We don't drop the ball on managing our finances, you know, and we don't drop the ball on, on our mental health. Those are the four non-negotiable balls as far as I'm concerned. And that doesn't mean I get them right in a day, but I try and get them right in a week and in a month. And then every quarter, I make sure that we go away for a weekend just to break the habit. Wow, I sincerely loved that. I felt like you were personally talking to me in a good way yeah. because I needed to hear it. So thank you. Uh, we're all on this journey. And, you know, and I think that's the, the value of your podcast is that it helps others to see that much of the stuff that we think that we are unique in struggling with, we're all struggling with. I mean, it always amazes me when people come to me and they go, geez, I didn't know that you struggled with that. I'm like, mm, I'm just as human as you are. You know, it's all of us are just as human as each other. And some of us will struggle in one area that others don't. But when you put us all together, there is some area that all of us, you know, I, I said this morning to my assistant, can you hear it? And she said, what? And I said, it's the sound of balls dropping everywhere because I just feel right now that all those balls are just crashing and burning everywhere. And I just have none of my stuff together at the moment, you know, and maybe by Friday or Saturday, I feel like I'm a bit better in control, but you know, right now it feels like nobody's getting the best of me. And then there'll be other times when I feel on top of my game. And I think that's all of us out there. And, and at the end of the day, we're just doing the best we possibly can. And I think it comes down to that motivation. If you are doing the best you possibly can, then go easy on yourself because, you know, it's, that's all you can do. This has been an incredible interview. Thank you so much, Lisa. Uh, thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Ah, oh, the pleasure was definitely mine. So where can we find out more information about you? So if you go to working women, sorry, if you go to working, workingwomenswealth.com, that's, I guess, the, the main blog that I use. I, um, I do have lisalinfield.com, but Working Women's Wealth is where most of the information is. My podcast is Working Women's Wealth. You can get it on any iTunes, Stitcher, any of the programs. So that would probably be the best way, workingwomenswealth.com. And there's, uh, you know, I just hope that in sharing my journey, which I should do there and, and through my podcast, it would help your listeners just to see that there's a, someone in the same boat. <laughs> oh, 100%. Thank you again. Well, that's all we have for today. Again, I just want to give a huge thank you to Lisa. She was amazing. She dropped so much wonderful knowledge and it was just so great to hear a real story that we could relate to and see that, you know what? Even someone who is making wonderful progress has the same battles that we are going through right now and that you know what we are going to get there someday too so thank you again and it was amazing thank you for listening if you liked today's episode could you please take a minute to rate and review my show it would mean the world to me also let me know if you have any questions or if there's something in particular that you are struggling with so that we can cover it in future episodes and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out Remember, progress is being just 1% better today than you were yesterday. You got this, mama. See you on the next episode.